Welcome to another episode of the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Network. We are very excited for this very special episode today, sponsored by our friends at Flipboard, a tool that KJ and I both use to curate thoughtful packages of information, just like we do this podcast. So let's get into it. KJ, how are you? I am well. Those of you who are not fortunate enough to see our screens cannot tell that I'm wrapped up in a blanket, feeling cozy and ready to talk about uh, today's subject, because I think it's a very very interesting topic that I, I haven't seen a lot of discussion around, and hopefully this will spur conversation from other people as well. So today we're going to be talking about the June boom, specifically about now it's more than a year later, it's July 2021, um, about the impact and effects of that wave of activism, but also attention we saw given to Black-owned businesses, Black restaurants, Black creatives, Black activists, Black communities in June of 2020 after the tragic killings of multiple Black people that were caught on camera. So KJ, what do you remember most strongly about the June boom of 2020? Ooh, dang, that's a really good question. I think the one thing that stands out in my mind was the amount of pressure that I felt from white people that I've never felt in my entire life. And what I mean by pressure is all of a sudden, it felt like everyone was coming to me for answers. Um, Where should I eat? Who should I support? Who should I spend money with? Which organization is a viable organization? It just went from no one cared to everyone caring and everyone seeming to be in my inbox while they cared. So that amount of pressure um, is something I haven't felt before and haven't felt since. And that's the one thing that stands out the most from the June boom. Yeah, I'd say it's the same for me. Um, So on a societal level, in the United States and beyond, we saw protests, right? Black Lives Matter was again at the forefront of public conversation, but then, I think on a on a little bit more nuanced level, we saw, and we were part of this, right? People calling attention to um, the inequities in the business arena, to the fact that Black business owners face particular struggles um, connected to their racial identity, right? And we also saw, <laughs> I felt like every major publication on the planet <laughs> was suddenly trying to amplify and highlight Black voices. They were calling, they were emailing, they were texting, and they wanted us now. And it was an immense amount of pressure. I've been very open about how it impacted me. Um, And there was this sense that if I couldn't step up and speak now, that like they didn't want me, which was, um, you know, I think really damaging and also convinced me that I needed to stop writing for other people um, and stop really giving interviews unless I really wanted to because it was exploitative. Yeah, it definitely was. And that's why, you know, last year when all this was happening, I definitely wanted to give credit and still do to those organizations uh, and people who were willing to wait, because that's one of my responses to all the pressure was to say, hey, my plate is heavy right now. Can we talk in August? Can we talk in September? Can we talk in December? And a few businesses were very willing to work with me later. Um, you know, I think that there were two camps there. 
There are people who saw this racial awakening as a way to reevaluate how they do business and change their business practices. Therefore, waiting until August or September, December wasn't a problem for them. They realized, hey, we don't have enough diversity around here. We want to do it right. So we're willing to take our time. But I think that group of people pales in comparison to the amount of people who were on the I don't want to seem racist bandwagon. And while they may present similarly, the effects, both short term and long term, are very different. Like, for instance, in the short term, Black Food Fridays didn't start until May. So in that month, I, I had a thousand followers maybe in a month that we started. By the end of June, I was at 4,200 followers. And it never really stopped. That growth never stopped. That's a long-term benefit. But what I did see is that over time, my engagement numbers went hella down because I had this influx of followers who really cared about Black food. But then when life got back to normal, or at least the feeling of if I don't support, I'm not an ally or I will look racist, when that feeling went down, then my engagement numbers went super low so they didn't follow me they just didn't interact with the content which is still not helpful and it looks like i'm paying for followers or something you know what i mean so that was something uh that i think is very memorable from that time and moving forward you know what we're going to discuss right now is what's going on a year later like where are these companies at where are these allies at and more importantly what do we as black creatives want when these things happen, what are we asking for? Yeah, so I think this is a good, you know, jumping off point. We had protests. We had a lot of trauma just in, in our community, I think, in general, that we were trying to process. And we saw c corporations really at least try to signal that they were stepping up. So there were, I think, let me get the number because I want to get it exactly accurate. <laughs> $35 billion pledged toward racial equity by corporations. And so this is in the form of donations, supporting programming, all of these things. And a lot of these corporations also made pledges to change some of their internal processes and structures. That's a lot of money and a lot of promises. $35 billion is a lot, like a lot, a lot. Think about that. And then we also saw companies sign on to the 15% pledge, which was that, um, you know, the products on their stores or the sourcing for their company would involve 15% uh, Black-owned businesses. So there were a variety of initiatives that kicked off during this time, Black Food Fridays being one of them. And now it's July 2021. KJ, where are we at with these promises? So uh, according to an article that I found that you will be able to find when you look at our Flipboard curation of stories was from Fortune.com. And that story said that American companies had pledged $50 billion and at the time this article was written in May of 2021, only 250 million had actually been spent or com committed to specific initiatives. So just to go back to Anella's point, depending on which article or news source you got it from, anywhere between 35 and 50 billion was promised. But as of May of last year, or excuse me, as of May of this year, about 250 million has actually hit the streets uh, doing the work that it was intended to do. That is alarmingly low. 
I mean, 250 million is a lot of money to me because I don't have a million dollars. But 50 billion promised, 250 million executed. That is, bruh, that is, you might as well have kept the money. I mean, I don't know. That's how I feel. I, I mean, no, we do need the money, but you might as well have not said anything. How about that? KJ, you brought up a really good point, right? It's alarmingly low and it's almost like they shouldn't have said anything at all. And you're right. You know, this, this type of corporate giving needs to happen, but when there's no follow through, these pledges don't really mean anything. And that's one angle, right? This is these are the the big grand multi-million dollar promises. But on a personal level, um, and and you'll be able to find these in the show notes. We've included a link to the storyboard that we curated on Flipboard. So take a look at that storyboard. And there's another angle that some of the articles that we've included brings up, right? The impact on individual businesses from the surge in attention in June and then kind of the follow. Uh, up or the lack of follow-up in subsequent months. So there are interviews with multiple business owners who said they saw a huge surge, huge. And I've talked to some in DC as well, who they say it was completely overwhelming. Demand shot through the roof. You know, they had to shut off online ordering. There were lines out the door. And in some cases, people weren't particularly patient with them. Um, And so that's, you know, that's something as well where we as a society created this surge and then it's not reliable. It's not long-term investment a couple months later, or even a month later, it tapers off. So then these businesses, many of them, you know, they can't adequately plan for staffing or for, you know, the supply ordering they need to do because we're wishy-washy. We're all over the place as customers. And so that's been another effect that has been, I think, difficult for uh, Black-owned businesses to cope with. And can I, I want to throw another effect that is not in the storyboard, but I am in a group chat with a bunch of Black men who are also in the food influencer space, right? And something that they mentioned in the group chat that I had not personally seen, it is not happening where I live at, let me be clear, But apparently in some major metropolitan cities, you have businesses that are not owned by black people that are now pretty much operating with blackface. Right. They're hiring black managers, black general managers. They're hiring black DJs, black party promoters. They're doing table service, bottle service like they're a club. Right. Playing trap music all the while not being black owned. And so in addition to the black businesses who either had to close because of COVID or got overran with business, right, because people were super woke during the June boom. Now you're seeing a year later that there are some businesses that are looking at blackness as a way to increase their bottom line, which if you would have told me this a year ago, I probably wouldn't have thought I wouldn't have thought people would be so shady. There's been some documented proof of white-led businesses that are giving 5, 10, 15% in equity, right, to some of their black employees so that they can say the business is black owned and they can market it as such, when really they still own 90% of the company. So by federal government standards, if you don't own at least 41 or 51% of the company, then it's not blank owned, right? It can't be woman owned if me and Nella have a business and I own 60% of it. The federal government doesn't consider that women-owned business. So I find that to be a shocking development going forward to see 
Am I shocked that there are businesses that are willing to cut corners and lie to get money? No. But if you would have told me a year ago that white people would be lying about being black so that more people will go to their bar, I would have I would have been like, nah, I would have laughed at you. I'm not going to lie. I mean, we've seen it as well. Um, I've seen it where businesses will be tagged in something that says that they're black owned. And I mean, this has happened for years and um, they know that a lot of their customers are black and a lot of their customers like to support black owned businesses. And so they won't say anything about the thing they're tagged in. They'll often just reshare it on their own pages, um, which, you know, that is that's like a little bit more active in my mind. Like you put it on your company page and it has hashtag black owned on it. People are going to assume that you're telling the truth when none of your owners uh, are black. And so we've seen that as well. And I mean, it, it it just goes to show, I think, the power of this particular movement and moment. People want to be intentional about where they spend. They're much more, I think, cognizant of the issues that uh, the Black community faces and how those might impact Black-owned businesses. And that's great. But on the flip side, it means that some people uh, might see that they can take advantage of that. As creators, we love curating in-depth, thoughtful packages of information for our communities like you, which is why we've partnered with Flipboard for this episode focused on the aftermath of 2020's June boom. Flipboard is full of recommended stories on just about every topic and a great tool for saving what you find interesting, which is how we use it. Check out our collection in the show notes for today's episode. Click on the link, use it to dig into the articles and voices that we pulled together on Flipboard to enrich your understanding of today's topic. And you can sign up for Flipboard for free in any of the app stores or on the web at flipboard.com slash the at symbol feed the belief. Okay, so we're back. We took a little break. And, you know, we touched on, I think, in the first half of this episode, a lot of the negative. So, KJ, can we get into some of the positive effects of the June boom? That would be a beautiful way to to carry out the rest of this episode, ma'am. Uh, one of the things, again, you know, we talked about some negativity. Let's talk about some positivity. The positive is that there are a lot of Black creators, a lot of Black-owned restaurants, a lot of Black chefs who have been getting some pretty good looks since June of last year. And I do not want to minimalize. Like, I don't want to spend every waking minute decrying the wrong that's in the world. I want to give shout outs to some of the people and brands who have been doing the work, at least starting that process. Like the PepsiCo, who partnered with me to bring some light to light to their uh, Pepsi Dig In initiative. And now I see that Doritos, which I believe is also a PepsiCo company, has a, uh, an initiative called Solid Black where they've given $50,000 to, I think, seven change makers, two of which I actually know, Eric Williams, who I interviewed for Pepsi. He owns Nacho Bangers in Baltimore. Um, and then the Edwards family, who own E. Okra uh, in New York City. They were listed as change makers. They got $50,000 to help them do work that they have already been doing in the community. So I wanted to start off this part of the segment uh, by giving shout out to specifically those two groups of people, because uh, they have been working very hard to get their respective businesses on the off the ground, as have other people who have been getting uh, much needed press 
uh, much needed financing, much needed opportunities. So shout out to all of the black people who've been utilizing this time uh, to get their businesses in front of more people and open new pathways of revenue and opportunity for themselves and others. Yeah, I mean, and I was um, on a I was part of a similar campaign right at the beginning of this all last year with Discover and they gave away five million dollars to black owned restaurants. And, you know, it was a random drawing. So random selection. A few of those were in my community, which was really cool to see, like places right down the street. Uh, you know, these are mom and pop shops who <laughs> mid pandemic, that was a lifeline. And I have seen that there are grant programs as well that have been distributing funds. And so, you know, those have largely lived up to their aims, to the promises that they made. There, um, there's the, the Southern Restaurants for Racial Justice, which I'm on the advisory board for, is partnered with the Lee Initiative and Heinz. And, you know, they've already dispersed funds to their grantees. And so there are organizations and people that we both know and see who are doing the work and I'm glad that I get to view that in contrast to a lot of these like empty promises that we've seen. So a thing that I want to discuss, and we can start this conversation on this podcast episode, but I hope it's something that our listeners will continue with us offline or rather off the podcast and online is what does the black creative want going forward? Right. We have decried the people who pledged and did not give, the people who gave but did not give everything they said they were going to give, right? The people who lied about being Black so they can make a little bit more money. And we also talked about the people who are getting opportunities that probably should have already gotten opportunities before this June boom. But now, going forward, Anella, I'll, I'll open the floor and give you the opportunity to discuss it first, and then I'll add my two cents. But Going forward as a black creative, what do you want to see happen? And by happen, let me be specific. As as it relates to our interactions with corporations, right? Because there's different aspects of this. But just starting with you as a black woman doing the work, working with uh, multinational corporations, what is it that you want to see from them? So I would love to see long-term campaigns, so ambassadorships are what they're typically called, um, that are truly diverse. And so what I saw last year from the influencer kind of content creator space was Black folks got tapped to do a lot of these one-offs that had to do with Blackness or with Black History Month or with Juneteenth or with the Black community in some way. And that's great, right? Those are our moments. Let us speak for ourselves in those moments. But I would love to see long-term relationships um, be pursued and developed by brands who understand that Black creatives and activists and influencers have stuff, stuff to say when it's not Black History Month, when it's not Juneteenth. Um, I would love to see you know, campaigns that are truly inclusive, that include every single month a variety of racial identities, a variety of body types, <laughs> even. Yeah. Like, let's not even get into fat phobia in, in the digital space and all of these things, like truly diverse campaigns, but they need to be that way for the long term. Whereas I, I still sometimes see like, okay, Black History Month, it's going to be all Black folks. And then for Pride, 
we're going to get all of the rainbow flag pride everything. And then, you know, the next month it's going to be this thing. And while I think it's important to celebrate those historical moments and holidays that are meaningful for particular communities, like that's not, that's not real inclusivity. It's not, that is a marketing tactic. And sometimes marketing tactics can be great, especially when, you know, a marketing campaign encourages a company to give away millions of dollars to a marginalized community, but let's, take that and extrapolate it outwards to the whole year. Oh, that's so, so good, Anella. I want to build off that because you laid a foundation for a, a really strong list of desires, right? I want to see y'all have the same energy for Black History Month and now Juneteenth. I want that same energy applied to Kwanzaa, right? Like Kwanzaa is super Black. It is exclusively Black, right? And so Black History Month and Juneteenth are things that everyone can participate in and everyone should participate in, right? I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but if, if you really want to impress me, let's give people opportunities to shine when there is no there is no opportunity for anyone else to get a good look off of it, right? Kwanzaa is exclusively Black and it's seven days long, right? Which goes back to your ideal of Stop doing these one-off things, right? Seven days of exclusive blackness. And when 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 these companies are willing to invest in situations like that or holidays like that, I'll be more impressed. I also want to second your desire to see more long-term campaigns, but also, and I'm gonna be very specific, see us outside of the lens of our blackness, right? I run a platform called Black Food Friday. So I 100% understand if you come to my page and you want to do business with me, uh, insert multinational global corporation, and you're like, oh, well, we probably should do something Black food related. I get that. I get that. But I am a human being. I'm a personality, right? I can do more than just tell you where Black restaurants are and, and just encourage you to eat at Black-owned restaurants. You really want to impress me? Step outside the box. Look at the talent for what that person brings to the table, right? Anella is an accomplished writer. She's a, a social media instructor. She is a woman, right? So there's some women pride stuff going on. Like what happens to women, International Women's Month? Why I ain't reaching out to her to do some stuff for that, right? Like there's so many things that we all bring to the table. I think truly allyship really looks like a company stepping outside of themselves and saying, you know what? KJ is dope for these seven things that don't even have anything to do with black food or black restaurants. And Anella has this list of 20 talents that we could leverage and, you know, and bring eyeballs to our corporation. That's what I want. It kind of goes back to our conversation a while ago where I said, I want my black supervillain, right? I want my black female supervillain. Like when we can start taking those strides, then I'll be super impressed with the state of things. But right now, you know, y'all are doing what y'all supposed to do. It's like Chris Rock said, I'm not going to give parents uh, props for feeding their children. You're supposed to feed your kids. Like that's your job. Like I'm not about to give you props for that. Step outside the lens. Lexus, I'm giving you, I'm putting you on the clock, Lexus, right? Give Anella a campaign. You can impress me if you do something with Anella that has shit to do with food. Give Anella a Lexus, let her drive around the country. She's looking for new places to live, right? 
How dope would that be if Toyota or Cadillac or one of these other people called you up and said, hey, we're going to give you a car and a gas card and we're going to let you drive around the nation so you and your husband can find out where you want to live. That's when I know y'all are really thinking of us as total people and not just as ambassadors for blackness. I have nothing to say to that. That was perfection. Um, also, I, I, I am looking for new places to live. So Airbnb, call me, um, you know, Hyatt. Hilton, there you go. Verbo, VRBO, uh, <laughs> call her dog. We are trying to find a place, but I think you're absolutely right, KJ. I want to be an ambassador for a whole person, right? So for my blackness, but also my like quirky nerdiness and my, you know, language loving, language studying, um, traveling self as well. And like all of those things can coexist. And so we will see, but. Wait, 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 let me give you one more prop. So people, y'all might not know this about Anella. Anella speaks Arabic. That's hard as hell to do. Like I like as many, bro. Do you know how many companies can benefit from your skill sets? Like just all the things that you can do, not alone speaking Arabic. Like add all of that plus the speaking Arabic. Y'all playing? Y'all don't really want us out here, dog. Let me let me let me. Y'all, I mean, I told you my dream is as soon as as soon as COVID allows. So hopefully early next year and I'm done with the book manuscript, I'm going back to the Middle East for at least a month. I'm going to take, I want to take my audience to a part of the world that they may never see beyond the lens of when something bad happens and it makes international news. I want to take them around. Yeah, yeah like I'm cool. going to be using my Arabic and I'm spending time in a part of the world that I love and that I studied for a very long time. And I want to take people on this journey and show them that like traveling and adventuring yeah, it can be scary, but it, it can also be so enriching and you can find so much outside of Europe, right? Outside of Mexico, outside of like the, the easier places that might seem a little bit more comfortable and that there's so much more to explore. So y'all better call me. <laughs> Get off Cancun's sack, bro. There are more <laughs> places to go than Cancun and Tullum, right? Like in Paris, not to say that I wouldn't go to this. Somebody paid me to go to those places. I'm definitely going, but Nella, I think you bring up a very good point, and that's really what I want to leave people with today. Yes, we appreciate when you reach out to us to do Black people things, because we are Black, but that is just a part of who we are. And so if you really want to take the next level, not just for June, but going forward, if anybody is in a decision-making position and listening to us right now, look at us, not just me and Nella, but look at all Black creatives for the totality of who they are and do business with the whole person, not just the black side of them. And with that, thank you again for tuning in to the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink and Dine Network. Thank you to Flipboard for being one of those partners that we mentioned that I consider to be a good partner. They don't tell us what to say. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't give us much of anything other than we think your work is important. We think you're interested in lots of different things that other people might find interesting. So let's work on that. And that's how we get to put together episodes like this. And that's also why I love and use Flipboard myself because I get to curate fun little packages of information that could be about anything. A lot of them are about food, but if you read my collections on Flipboard, they're about everything. They're about food and culture and who gets to decide 
you know, what's popular and what's acceptable and what's right. And all of that, we hope to bring you just a little bit of every time we have another episode of this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Write us a review, leave us a rating, DM us, give us your feedback. And as always, we hope that you are able to sit down with us and take from our offerings and fix yourself a plate.